I invite you this morning to open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 1. We're engaged in a topical study of this book of Solomon. Some of his sayings are very severe. All of them are very sobering. This is kingdom life lived according to the principles of the Word of God in a fallen world. Please follow with me as I read verses 7 through 19 this morning, and then we will commence our study together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause, Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious wealth. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the net in the eyes of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Let's pray together. Or Father, what sobering words these are. They ring in our ears, and Lord, they should alarm our our hearts. They should impact our lives. They should turn our feet away from the path that is set before us in this wicked and wayward world. We would ask that you would help us to attend upon the words of Solomon, for they are indeed the inspired words of a greater Solomon, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his Spirit inspired the wise king, to pen these words. And we pray that we would give heed to the counsel that we find in them. We pray for those who are here that may be without Christ. They're without hope. They're without you. They're in this world. They are under your wrath. We pray that you would open their eyes to behold the kingdom of God. You would grant them a heart that lays hold of the truth, you would cause them to run on the feet of of faith and repentance to the cross of Jesus Christ. You would have mercy upon them so that this might be for them the day of salvation, that they would go away this day having been wise unto salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And we pray for your own people here. Lord, we are a weak people. We need your strength. We are a wandering people. We need to be directed. Our eyes need to be fixed and focused upon the author and finisher of our faith. So we pray that you would do good to sinner and saint alike in this place. You're a God of rich mercy. We pray that you would display that mercy. Dispense it with both hands this day, that we might know that there is a God who hears prayers that we might go away saying, indeed, God is in this place. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last Lord's Day we, we met, we pondered a father's urgent warning to his son against giving in to temptation from corrupt companions. We saw that in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you... Do not consent. Few words, but a very powerful message. 
We see the person's address there. He addresses his congregation as his son. My son. You see, this father knows how the wicked prey upon others, especially upon the unwary, the naive, the inexperienced, are the often easy targets of the wicked. And we see the danger presented if sinners entice you. This loving dad's warning is as plain as it is pointed. He warns against those who would seduce them into sin. And they are on our left and on our right, behind us, before us. They're all around us. Thirdly, we get the defense declared. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not give them your ear. Do not give them your heart. Do not follow them with your feet. And his father reinforces his warning in verse 15. Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. And we see right away here, do we not, beloved, that loving, biblically-minded parents are not shy about warning their children about the wicked and their temptations. It is at least passive child abuse not to do so. You're setting your children up for a fall. You're throwing them to the lions. In all of your warnings, your great and your ultimate goal is to point them to Jesus Christ that they might be saved from the wrath to come. Be saved, Peter said, from this perverse generation. And that is your message to your children. Now this morning as we come to Solomon's warning here, through the mouth of fathers and mothers to their children, not to consent to the wicked around them, but rather to run from them. We're going to look at three points and have a couple of words of concluding application. And the first point is this. Faithful parents will describe the tempter's methods and motives. Verses 11 through 14. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole, as those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious wealth. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall have one purse. Now, your children's tempters are not going to speak as plainly as this. But that is the ultimate direction of their, their leading, of their enticements, of their seduction. Those, we don't hear, well, we're going to go out and kill and rape and pillage and plunder, and we're going to take back the spoil to our houses. They don't say that. But that's the tendency that they present and it will be the outcome, ultimately, if you give yourself to sin. It will be a downhill slide toward greater degradation and evil. You see, Solomon paints a dark portrait of these enticers. If we read the whole Bible, we would see that they hate God, they detest His law, they oppose righteousness... And they hate others, and because they hate others, they would use others to carry out their evil plans to get them to join them. They especially hate, I suggest, Christian young people, because Christian young people who live biblically ordered lives, their holiness exposes these evil plans and these evil people. They don't like to be around them. So the best thing that they can do is corrupt them and convert them to their evil ways. Matthew Henry says, They thirst after blood and they hate those that are innocent and never gave them any provocation because by their honesty and industry 
they shame and condemn them. I've known wicked folks that seem to find peculiar enjoyment in tempting, professing Christians. They're a mark for them. Like crusaders on an evil mission, they're not happy until they corrupt the unsuspecting so that they might be like them. Henry again says, Who could imagine that human nature should degenerate so far that it should ever be a pleasure to one man to destroy another? Well, dear people, misery loves company. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 1? Although they know the ordinance of God, these are God-rejecting people. Although they know the ordinance of God, they have the work of the law written in their hearts. They have the stamp of God's Ten Commandments upon their very being. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they know that they're going to pay the piper one day for living in disobedience to God and in rebellion against Him. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, does that reform them? No. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They're cheerleaders in the way of sin. They couldn't be happier to get people to follow them in their wicked ways. They cheer them on. These persons even think that they will escape God's judgment for injuring other people. That's how twisted they are in their thinking. They're, they're never going to have to pay the piper. Although they know this in the back of their mind, they try to tell themselves they're never going to have to stand before God and give an account for their lives. Psalm 10, verses 8 through 12. He sits in the lurking places of the village, villages. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. You see, he's on the hunt. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. He says to himself, this is his thinking, God has forgotten. You see, God didn't strike him dead for doing that. So he thinks, well, God doesn't see these things. God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. He has said to himself, thou wilt not require it. I'm going to get away with all of my evil. Nothing makes a man more like the devil, who was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, than his desire to injures, injure others, even tempting them into sin. So faithful parents will describe the tempter's methods and motives. Notice two points. These kind of parents will expose these tempters' evil methods. Biblically-minded parents entertain no Pollyanna view of the world. They've seen too much of sin in themselves and in others to have a glowing opinion of human nature. They know the dirty depths of their own foul heart. They know that Solomon's description of these temp tempters would fit them had God not graciously made them wise unto salvation and placed his fear in their hearts. And so they ripped the mask off enticers who would harm their children by exposing them for who they are. They reveal their true intentions, how they operate, and what their goals are. Such concerned parents know that their vulnerable children are blind to the ways of the world. 
They don't yet see as they see because they knew when they were their age, they didn't see what they now see. Let me encourage you parents that as soon as your children are old enough to comprehend right and wrong, as their eyes are being opened to their own sin, that you make them increasingly aware of the dangers lurking outside the doors of your home. Prepare them for the world. Expose sin's evil roots in our wicked hearts. They have the same thing in their heart that their wicked enticers have in their hearts. And you do not want this to flower, to bloom, to produce fruit. You want to nip it in the bud. Describe in appropriate detail its forms and its bitter fruit, its tendencies and where it leads. You must educate your children to see the dangers outside their home. And let me say, parents, if, th- if, if they don't learn from you, they will learn for themselves, but not as victors, but as victims. Proverbs 14, 4, verses 14 and 15. This is what the wise father and mother says to their sons and daughters. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Don't even go there. I'm seeking to preserve you from having to drag you out of their way. Don't enter the path of the wicked. And do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. See, he heaps warning upon warning in various terms. Avoid, do not pass by, turn from it, pass on. Why? For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. They've got their crosshairs on you. And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. Your children need to know that evil men are recruiters for the evil one. And I would spare you from the regrets felt by passive parents who didn't warn their children. The heartache. Many parents saying, I wish I knew when I was raising my kids what I know now. They're off in the world and they've joined the crowd. Don't worry that by exposing the evil methods of the world, you will excite their sinful curiosity. I'm not saying it won't be piqued, but God helping you, only will you educate them to spot the wiles of the world. Your sober warnings will also inoculate them, inoculate them, with a desire not to follow them. Show them these things. Show their true colors. Show how they're presented. Show where they lead to. Show the evil fruit of them. God helping you, not only will you educate them to spot these things, but you will inoculate them not to follow these people in their folly. You see, the worldly people that your children meet in their day-to-day lives are not going to be as honest with them as you must be. Police distribute mugshots and they make composite sketches to alert the general public to be on the lookout for desperate criminals. How will your children learn to identify dangerous sinners if it is not from your description, moms and dads? 
Use your Bible. Use your own experience. Use instructive examples around you to sketch out the characters and the methods of your children's tempters and the dangers that they face. So faithful parents will expose these tempters' evil methods. Secondly, faithful parents will describe these tempters' enticing motives. They use bait. Sin often dresses itself attractively to catch our eye and to bring us under its power. It doesn't show us its foulness. It shows us its pretended beauty. But sin is powerless to provide what it promises. And therefore, it always disappoints. It offers happiness, but it brings misery. It promises fulfillment, but delivers emptiness. It assures us of freedom, but brings us into bondage. Sin is also a liar. It makes us think that our transgressions are slight when God regards them as great. They're just a little thing, you know. One man writes, Let us never forget the evil that is in sin. However men may dress it out in beautiful colors, it is the very quintessence of wickedness. All men see a great deal of evil in some infernal crimes, you know, big ticket sins. But the God whose judgment is always true sees more evil in the least sin than we are able to do in the greatest. We don't give it a right estimation. We don't understand just how wicked it is. And we flirt with it. This man goes on to say, It is a dangerous and detestable thing for a man willfully to transgress the smallest commandment of the law of God. Let me say, if you set out that way, you, there's things that you think you'd never do, but incrementally you, gr you, you grow to do larger and larger sins as you tra traverse the path of wickedness. This man says, But men of whom we now speak are desperately bent upon sin. You see, tempters dress up sin in its Sunday best. They make evil to look good, and good to look evil. What does Solomon say? They offer easy pickings, sure profits, fabulous riches, not to mention pleasant camaraderie, a sense of belonging, and maybe even stature and status in the world. They present their temptations as pleasurable and profitable. You're really not living until you throw in your lot with us. Let me illustrate. I suggest that the enticements of Marxism especially are attractive to young people today. Not simply because many have been indoctrinated in public school, but because these children lack historical context. They don't have biblical instruction. They haven't yet arrived at mature discernment. The radical left uses lies and lust to sell communism to young people, presenting it as a cause worthy of their support. They slyly create and then pander to an entitlement mentality which justifies class warfare and social upheaval, calling it good and necessary. And so businesses are looted because they are symbols of affluence and police departments firebomb because they represent the rule of law. They are taught that obsolete social conventions must be overthrown as unworkable, 
that sexual distinctions must be rejected and moral boundaries exploded and harmony is achieved by pitting one race against another. All these changes are touted as good and necessary to bring in the brave new world. I believe the attraction of BLM and Antifa and all extremist groups on whatever end of the political spectrum comes down to two basic factors. The first is ideological and the second carnal. First, young people tend to be idealistic. They have a narrow range of experience and they usually don't see the extremes of the causes they're presented with. So they're idealistic and they're growing up, they're seeking meaning in life, they seek significance by involving themselves in social change. They want to leave their stamp on this world. And so they desire to use these means to fix this broken world. Radical organizations offer them a vehicle to bring such change. Second, young people are sinners. They're carnally minded. And their goals are not ultimately altruistic, though they might be more so at the beginning. They will use and abuse others to promote themselves and advance personal goals. They see, well, there really is something in this for me. Well, brethren, there's no honor among thieves. Sinners are deceivers. Why? Because they're self-deceived. They've lied to themselves for so long they believe it, and they predispose themselves to believing the lies of others. There's nothing new under the sun. Human nature hasn't evolved since Solomon's day. Sinners use the same motives as bait to entice the unwary as they have for millennia. Understand, young people, that those who seek to entice you into sin, they are crafty. They're like fishermen who hide their evil motives in very attractive bait. And this is suggested by the word entice in verse 10. It implies seduction that is used to gain or to hide something. It's used in various places in the scripture. It's used in Exodus 22 of a man seducing a virgin. In Deuteronomy 11 of being deceived into worshiping false gods. It's used twice in Judges of women enticing Samson. It's used in Psalm 78 of idolatrous Israel attempting to deceive God. Your seducers cleverly disguise the fact that what they are tempting you to is offensive to God and ultimately ruinous to your soul. They are illusionists who hide sin's wickedness from your eyes. They're bait and switch. They offer you one thing and then they give you something else. They present evil as good, as desirable and pleasurable. They distract you from what is right and urge you to desire to do what is wrong. And they will use half-truths and outright lies to deceive you. We are reminded how crucial it is for parents to teach and for young people to embrace solid, detailed, practical instruction from the Word of God with their whole hearts. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. With all my heart I have sought thee. Do not let me wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I treasured or hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Your children need to treasure up the word of God in their hearts that they would not sin against God, that they wouldn't fall prey to the evil seductions of the wicked around them. So faithful parents will describe the tempter's methods and motives. Secondly, 
In verses 15 through 18, faithful parents will point out these tempters' true character. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the net in the eyes of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. Parents must open the eyes of their children to see the character of their tempters. But they must also expose the outcome of their lives and of those who follow them. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Notice, first of all, your children's tempters are savage. They are always ready to harm others. We see this in verse 16. One reason why young people are so susceptible to the allurements of the wicked is that they tend to have a rosy view of humanity, that people are basically good. In their naivete, they are blind to the depths of their own sin, and therefore they tend to see other people as good as they think that they themselves are. I'm good, and they're basically good too, right? They cannot yet see that outward niceness may camouflage inner wickedness. And because they are blind to men's wickedness, they fail to see the trajectory of their lives. Where is this going to lead? We can only wonder at the folly of Lot, Abraham's nephew. He'd witnessed Abraham's devotion to the Lord. He'd seen him build altars, offer sacrifices. He'd seen his prayer life. He'd seen his personal integrity. He was a man of faith. That couldn't have been missed by Lot. They'd heard his warnings. And no doubt he'd likely heard of the brutal perversity of the Sodomites. And yet he moved his family ever closer toward and then finally settled in that cesspool of iniquity. Why do children of Christian parents today abandon the safety of their home, turning away from the example and instruction of godly mom and dad to openly embrace the world? Why? Why do they do that? Maybe even to become revolutionaries and incendiaries. Well, one point is plain. They were never Christians to begin with. Many who once professed Christ now reject Him. They reject His truth. They reject His church. And now they tolerate and even promote the very wickedness they once rejected. I hear loving pathos in the voice of this parent pleading with his children. Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 17. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, that the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. This is a father talking to his educated children. They're probably ready to be sent out into this world. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let her go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Again, he says, avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away and pass on. These ones that you're going to meet on the outside, we're going to make all kinds of promises to you. They're going to try to gain your attention, gain your allegiance. You need to know what they're all about. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. That's what they feed on. 
And you sit down at their table and you're going to get a hankering for those same things. Your children's tempters are savage. They're always ready to harm others. Furthermore, your children's tempters are stupid. That's right, the Bible uses the term stupid in various places. And these tempters are stupid. The way they're described shows their stupidity. They entrap themselves in their own folly. Look at verses 17 and 18. Indeed, it is useless to spread the net in the eyes of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. Now, as a hunter, I know that it is a waste of time to put out my decoys and to build my blind in the sight of the ducks and geese I'm trying to kill. They say, I'm not going anywhere near that guy. He's dangerous. But your tempters are fools. Those who tempt you don't have the sense that God gave a bird. They don't see the danger for themselves. Little do they know that they plot their own destruction. They tempt others and catch themselves. They set a trap and they fall into it. Here's the point. If you follow those who tempt you, you will fall into the trap that they don't know that they're setting for themselves. And it's big enough for you to fall into too. And what Solomon is saying here is if you fall into their trap, you are even more foolish than they. My dad used to say, he wasn't a Christian. A smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man from the mistakes of others. These children, they fall into the trap they haven't learned from the mistakes of others. Young people, let me ask you, are you learning from your parents to spot the traps that the wicked are setting for your feet that you might avoid them? Ahab and Jezebel didn't learn this lesson. They set a trap for Naboth that led to their own deaths. Haman made a gallows for Mordecai, but was hanged on it himself. Judas betrayed Christ, but dug a grave into hell for himself and for all who follow him. You see, the sins of, of tempters are like boomerangs. They come back and they hit the one that threw it. Their sins return on their own heads. And so it will happen to you, young people, if, you'd, if you heed their temptations and you follow them and their sins. Be sure your sin will find you out. Follow your parents' wise counsel. Don't be like Demas. What better instructor of truth and example of holiness could he possibly have than the Apostle Paul? How many times he'd been instructed in holiness to mortify his lust and warn not to give in to the temptations of this evil world. Oh, that he had heeded Paul's warnings to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. You see, the word that Timothy faithfully received, Demas later rejected. 
We read in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10 these words, very sobering. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. He deserted Paul. He deserted Christ. He deserted the truth. He deserted the church. He deserted the hopes of his own soul at one time. Let them go. A privileged Demas allowed himself to become ensnared by the enticers in this world. How about you? How about you? Therefore, notice finally, we've seen that faithful parents will describe their, the tempter's methods and motives, their true character. Notice finally, faithful parents soberly warn of the tempter's dreadful end. Verse 19. So, this is a concluding statement. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. What an unhappy epilogue this is. Those who tempt you promise life, but deliver only death, true happiness, but deliver only bitterness and grief. They promise blessing, but they deliver only the wrath of God. Peter speaks of the demise of false teachers and their followers, and such is the end of all tempters and their dupes. 2 Peter 2, verse 3. And in their greed they will exploit you. They'll make merchandise of you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Soon they will pay the piper. Oh, dear young people, how self-deluding and self-destructive sin is. Is it any wonder that your godly parents urgently and lovingly plead with you, maybe with tears at times, to avoid the temptations of this wicked world? They cannot urge you too earnestly to avoid their influence. Did we not just sing, and I hope with understanding and conviction and self-examination, the sober words of warning of the hymn writer. Watch, let not the wicked world with its power defeat thee. Watch, lest with her pomp unfurled she betray and cheat thee. Watch and see, lest there be faithless friends to charm thee, who but seek to harm thee. There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the way of death. Uh, your parents would spare you from that. A couple of concluding applications. First to parents, and then second to children. First of all, parents, do you see your need to warn your children against the tempters of the world? These enemies of your children are not imaginary. They're just too real. You know them. Included are influences your kids face each day by way of social media, entertainment, personal friendships, and maybe even temptations from family members. You have a duty to unmask the temptations your children will be exposed to, to show these in all of their fair pretenses and presentations. Your children deserve nothing less than that. Your children's naivete leave them vulnerable to temptations. Remembering from last week, one can only wonder if Tamar would have been so vulnerable to harm from Amnon had David been more proactive in his instruction, especially since he knew about Amnon's so-called sickness and he sent Tamar to minister to him.
the Amnons and Jonadabs who counsel wickedness. They are many in this world. And sadly, so are the Tamars. Perhaps even more tragically, common are the busy Davids. Parents after God's own heart, but parents distracted from the one thing needful in informing and inoculating their children against the temptations of this wicked world lurking all around them. How are you doing in teaching and cautioning your children as they are able to understand about the dangers they face? Are you warning them about the danger of imbibing known evil influence and following wicked examples around them, things that they already know about? That your children will be tempted by this wicked world is certain. Write it down. But how they respond to these temptations will in no small part be the effect of your teaching or lack of it. Listen again to the principles taught by the wise king. Proverbs 5, verses 21 through 23. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of sin. his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. In the greatness of his folly, he will go astray, because he will die for lack of instruction. You can be sure there's teachers, there's instructors out there. And they're not going to teach them the things you would want to teach them. Are you teaching them those things? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's the general principle. Secondly, young people, you need a healthy dose of realism to correct your view of this wicked world and its tempters. Your parents want you to be naive in sin, but they want you to be instructed as to the temptations to sin. They want you to be, know about it in your head, but not with your hands, you see. This world is no friend of grace to help you on to God. Read and meditate upon the pictures presented to you in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. The path from the city of destruction to the celestial city is fraught with dangers on the left and on the right. And you have the dangers from the openly wicked like those in vanity and his fair who plainly hate Christ, his truth, his church, and you. They hate you. They're not difficult to spot by their filthy language and their openly wicked ways and the wretched rebellion they display against God and all that is good. That's plain for even some young people to see. Yet you are more likely to be drawn aside and duped by the talkatives who are even more dangerous because they may deceive you with their empty religious talk while luring you away from Christ into empty formalism and meaningless Christianity. You see, there's but a step between formalism and apostasy. In fact, I would say that formalism is the waiting room for apostasy. Be warned by the examples of Judas and Demas. They once professed Christ. They once preached Christ. But now they're in hell. Let me ask you, how is it with you? Are you trampling upon the precious privilege of being raised in a Christian home? of having parents instruct you and warn you and at times plead with you with tears to turn away from the wicked way that's outside your door? Faithless friends do charm you. Who but seek to harm you? 
Does the Lord who sees into your heart see it hankering after the things of this world, only restrained by parental rules and influence? Or does he see a loving heart, imperfectly but truly devoted to Christ, his fear, and his service? Let me ask you, which is it for you? Oh, may you seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. May God, by his grace, make you wise unto salvation through the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Monumental concerns, these are our Father. Not just for time, but for eternity. Indeed, precious souls hang in the balance depending on how they respond to the wise biblical instruction they receive, not just from this pulpit, but from across the kitchen table at home. Oh, how we pray that you would be with our dear parents as they seek to instruct their children in your fear, to encourage them in your love, to go them graciously into your service, as well as to warn them against the tempters which are outside in this wicked world that would seek to win them to their cause. We thank you, our Father, that great, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But Lord, if our children have not the Spirit of God in them, they're easy marks for the wickedness. It's all around them, dressed up as something that is good, pleasurable, desirable. Oh, how we pray you'd bless the instruction of these godly parents to the opening of these children's eyes to see things as they truly are. Oh, would you not grant them faith and repentance that they would be saved from this perverse generation, that they would be added as jewels to your crown, that they would be sinners saved by grace. Lord, these parents need to be faithful. These are means of grace, but you must pour in the grace through these means. And we pray as, as they teach and instruct and warn and admonish and counsel that you would, you would pour powerfully through these means grace into the hearts of their children. Oh, Lord, hear us as we pray, because apart from you, we can do nothing, but they can do everything through Christ who gives them strength. Bless their every endeavor to see their children saved and to be made members of the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.